Liz, how are you? I am good. Hello, Ambi. How are you? I'm good. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited to see you again after like forever. Yeah. I, I also, I think we met, did we meet on a Zoom show? That's I right, think so. right. I think it was, mm-hmm. I think it was Rebecca Kaplan's show. Oh, Kaplan. yes. Yeah. She's terrific. Um, <laughs> yeah, she's amazing. Um, I also love her. And thank you for reminding me of that. It's so wonderful to be here. Truly. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm so excited to have you on the show. So I divided this into three parts, which mm-hmm. is comedy, acting, and a special fire bonus round kind of thing. Okay. Um, so let's get into comedy first. Great. So you were a lawyer and then a yeah. law professor. And then you gave it all up to do comedy. I did. Yeah. What is when, your story? Sure. Um, yeah. Well, you said, let's get into comedy first. I'm like, I didn't do that. Uh, I, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, obviously there are long, medium and short versions of the story, but like the joke that I have about it, which is like, you know, I wasn't always a stand-up comedian. I used to be a law professor. And that's the typical way that people generally get into stand-up comedy. <laughs> generally speaking, somebody wants to be a stand-up comedian. They go to law school for three years. Then they practice for two years. Then they teach for nine years, then give it all up and do stand-up <laughs> comedy. Um, People are like, why did you go to law school, Liz? And I'm like, I'm setting up a joke I'm going to tell in approximately 14 years. OK, <laughs> I'm a planner. Um, so, you know, and, and the bits of that joke, each of them is factually accurate. Um, and of course, you know, the only thing that's not accurate is that it's like totally the typical route. Uh, there are a lot of lawyers Um, And I think I've met a couple of academics who have then gone on to do stand-up comedy. Um, But, you know, I mean, everybody's story is their own, right? And there's no typical anything um, is the real truth of it. But I guess like my path is a little bit different, mainly because I I did give up a tenured position. um, And so like in academia, if you have tenure, you know, you can't lose your job ever. And I had just gotten tenure a few months before I then did stand up for the first time, which I did because I had taken an improv class. I thought it was amazing. I did that to do something for fun because like everything in my life, not that it wasn't fun. There were definitely moments in like a flow state, for example, when teaching a class or writing a paper or something that were fun for sure. But I think like, I, at that time, was sort of responding to how everything in my life was like centered on and on the track of a goal. And I wanted to do something else. And of course, I had a huge crush on the teacher. Nothing ever happened between us. But basically, she was like, have you ever thought of doing stand-up comedy? And I said, no. And she said, well, would you consider doing it on my show. And I figured she would be at her show. I mean, she could have been like, you want to jump off a bridge. I don't know that I would have jumped (laughs) off, but I would have shown up to the bridge if she was going to be there. So anyway, like, you know, and that's what happened. And like, I mean, this is another joke that I sometimes tell it's a little bit dirty, but like, not really. It's, um, you know, that the first time I ever did stand up, I felt like I was having a professional orgasm, which was basically a regular orgasm, but I was 100% sure that I was having it. And so on that basis, and I've given you some version in between the very short, just the jokes version and the longer story, 
um, which is the truth. You know, that's, and you know, and ultimately like I, I left, I didn't leave right away. There was like a year and a half where I was doing both teaching and, and stand up. And then, and then I, I left um, to, you know, pursue all of this. And by all of this, it's stand up. I do also act, but I know that's part two. And then, you know, and also writing. Um, I mean, I'm writing a television show about my life. And so those are, those have always been and continue to be kind of the three areas of professional focus for me. That's awesome. Like, that's amazing. You're inspiring. Oh, I mean, you know, it's, it's not, it's not always that great, but like, I, I can appreciate and understand that. And I thank you. Um, but also, you know, it boils down to doing a lot of the same stuff that everybody, or maybe not everybody that a lot of people do every day who are, who are pursuing what we do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Exactly. So, um, you know, we've been on a show together and a lot of your stuff is drawn from you being a lesbian, a rabbi's wife, Mm -hmm. and like a lawyer. So is there anything else? And do you think there's a difference between who you are on stage versus who you're off stage? Hmm. Yeah. So first question first. Um, No, nothing else. I am the sum total of my jokes about being a lesbian and a rabbi's wife and a lawyer. Um, No, I I think that, um, you know, in terms of like, well, I guess maybe the, I'm trying to think of like the, the kind of most interesting way to answer this question. When I first started doing stand-up, and I know some people say a version of this, I had no idea what I was doing. And I at, I get it. I get the footnote of like, n- nobody does. And totally, but I, I believe that I had less of an idea. And the reason is because I truly didn't mean to get into it. And as a result, I didn't know that people repeat jokes. I didn't know, like, you know, some people start improvised or like, you know, there's the, like Rory Scovel's like amazing improvised, Um, Ray Harrington is another person who comes to mind that, you know, is super amazing improvised. I'm not saying I ever was, but I literally had no idea that you were allowed to repeat a thing that you said on stage one day on another day, just didn't know. And so I didn't do it. And so I used to talk about literally whatever was present for me that day. And sometimes it was funny and sometimes it wasn't, but I was like, you know, I think I'm funny in life. I'm funny when I talk on the phone to my mother. And so why can't I just get on stage and do that? And so this bleeds into an answer to your second question, which is whether there's a difference between the person on stage and the person off stage. I think at the beginning, maybe actually there was because I was certainly more presentational if I knew I was on a stage rather than like literally just talking on the phone to my mother or, you know, a friend or something. However, um, what started happening was like, number one, I, I started like being nervous that I wouldn't have anything to talk about, which is an entirely reasonable thing to be nervous about if you're not like planning. And then I I was like, okay, well, I have to have an interesting day. And I remember at this time I, I was seeing the same therapist that I've seen for 15 years. Um, and, uh, and I said to her, I was like, you know, but like, how am I gonna, like, like, uh, you know, cause, cause I was talking about whatever was going on and I was like, you know, sometimes the only thing that's going on is the laundry. And it's like, what am I going to get on stage and talk about the laundry for 12 minutes? And she interrupts <laughs> me and she's like, listen, I think I've heard you go on about less for much longer. And so, you know, it's not a problem. You're going to have stuff to talk about. And, and I think that she may have been right. Um, however, I started to realize I was like, I could go on about the laundry for the whole set if that's all I did with my day. And if my rule 
you know, stated or unstated is that I talk about whatever's going on in my day. Sure. I could do that. But also if I'm introducing myself for the first time to an audience of people, is that the, the thing that I really want to present to them? Um, you know, because on the one hand, you know, the punchlines aren't there and that's mm-hmm. one reason, but on the other hand, a second reason is kind of like, these are people who've never met you. They come because they're wanting to laugh and like, could you tell them something that's a little bit more central to your identity than the fact that you did the laundry today and whatever happened in the laundry room, right? And so then going back to the answer to the first question, sure, there's a lot of things about me that aren't, I'm a lesbian, I'm married to a rabbi, I used to be a lawyer. And also when I'm like getting introduced to a bunch of people for 10 to 15 minutes, maybe even 20, you know, 20, maybe you get into some of the other stuff. I'm also sober. I don't do that material if I have five minutes, but I might do that material if I have 30 minutes, right? But it's like trying to think, what are the things about me that are essential kind of enough to be an introduction to me, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. And I, and I yeah. think that, you know, of course, like when people start to know someone as a comedian, then you can kind of, go a little bit deeper because it's like, yeah, we know that you're married to whatever. I don't know. But like, it's also like, I'm trying to talk about the things that are the most kind of vulnerable, central to my identity uh, that I can. And those are the things that I kind of start with to write jokes from. But then it's also like you do a private event and you write jokes about computers. You know, you write, you can write jokes about anything. Um, and, and I try to do that if if the situation calls for it. Um, but yeah, I do stick to like things that are pretty central about my own identity. And then to kind of cap off an answer on the second question about the difference in persona, you know, I I feel like my voice, whatever that means, is some sort of more guttural, maybe slightly heavily, more heavily accented East coast, New York, New Jersey than I actually am in real life. Nice. Yeah. But like, you know, I mean, I, I I am very inspired by Bruce Springsteen. Mm. I wasn't always, but then I had to lip sync uh, a song of his in an acting class. And I freaked out. And my acting teacher was like, something is with you and Bruce Springsteen, because why are you freaking out about lip syncing born in the USA? And I didn't have a good answer for the question, but I appreciated that he was saying that because, you know, he was like, if it's hysterical, it's historical, something a culty acting teacher would say anyway. So then I, I took it upon myself to fall in love with Bruce Springsteen, watched a whole bunch of videos for a week. And the guy, I mean, he is very calm, it seems mm-hmm. off stage and on stage, it's not the case. And I was like, this guy you know, he runs every day. I don't, I can't get into running. I have tried so many times to get into running. Oh God, Ambie. Um, Do you run? <laughs> I don't. Yeah. I mean, it seems, you know, and the thing is I do this sort of informal like study where I'm driving in, in the suburbs and I see people running. And if you just take like, I'm not an artist. I don't know how to like draw faces. If you just draw people's faces when they're running, it looks like they're being tortured. Like, I don't think that there's a difference, you know, between like my grandparents in the Holocaust and these people running in the suburbs of New Jersey. No difference at all. That's a joke. But like, 
truly they look like they're in real pain and I can't get into it because I'm like, if I saw some happy people running, maybe I'd be inspired to run. When I run, this is not my joke. This is, um, there's a comedian, Andrew Codhill, I think. And I, I Codhill, I'm not sure how to pronounce his, his last name. He's very funny. He's an LA comedian. And he had a joke once about like how you go for exercise. And then at the, at the end of the torture, you're like, is it off yet? Right. Like, is it all gone? Cause that's the reason. And I feel like running the level of the pain you want. I just want every bit of fat on me that I'm trying to not have whatever sort of lightness I'm trying to achieve to just be there for me. But again, it's not my joke, but anyway, the torture part and all that, I, you know, I mean, these are not jokes that I say on stage, but I guess I could, you know, but anyway, point being, I think like right now I would say I can feel my voice is a little bit louder. I feel it in the back of my nose a little bit. Um, there'll be a guttural thing if I'm like, you know, saying something like that. And, and I don't do that as much in my real life. And I do that more when I'm on stage. I do that more when I'm performing. So I mm-hmm. hope that answers the question yeah, yeah, in, in as, yeah. as sort of precise a way as I can. Yeah, I love it. I think that's so interesting. Yeah. Thank so you. yeah, my last-ish question for you for comedy is that what dreams and hopes that you have and what advice do you have for future comics or something sure so you wish someone told you when you first started out doing this not knowing what you were doing yeah for sure i mean my hopes and dreams i want to write a television show that lasts for nine seasons that i get to be in that tells the story of me as a law professor who quit doing stand-up comedy um and i would like to act in it and write in it and work with my best friend shira on it that is my dream Shira, um, Shira from New York. Shira is from New Jersey. Okay. I don't think you you know her. Is that someone? Yeah, there's probably a Shira. I know yeah. a Shira from New York in your comedy scene. Yeah. Oh, got it. Not her. Okay. <laughs> this is this is my best friend from childhood. But okay. I would love to meet the Shira that you know. I love a Shira. <laughs> I, I graduated elementary school with six Shiras in my grade. Wow. So I went to Jewish day school. So I'm always aware of exactly what I'm doing wrong at all times. But anyway, um, <laughs> So, uh, so that's my dream in terms of advice. I mean, you know, the thing is in some ways I desire to like give myself advice because it's like, like in some ways I'm like, you know, there have been people who've done a version of what I've just described. And I'm like, what do you do every day? And it's like, you know, you, you listen to someone like Jerry Seinfeld, right? You, you write every day, you do the X's on the calendar every single day. And, you know, you write everything before you go on stage, whatever he does, right? You do transcendental meditation two times a day. I do that. I don't do it two times a day. I do it once a day. You know what? Think of how much better your life would be if you could do it two times a day. That's me talking to myself. If I was actually talking to somebody who's not me, who's starting out in comedy, you know, the thing I think, okay, I have two pieces of advice and I want to get a third because threes are better. Right. Okay. I bet bet we'll come up with a third. Okay. But here are two that come to mind. Number one, um, listen or watch back your sets. Um, It's something I didn't do for many years. Very hard, really excruciating, kind of like running or the Holocaust. It's terrible. Okay. But um, for me, something that works, I hate the voice memos. I I hate the tinny sounds. I'm not going to listen to it. I just think it's gross. Okay. You have to get a voice memo. Fine. But I love a video. I mean, honestly, anything else could be on. You see a video of me, I'm watching, okay? That's all I have to say. It's narcissistic and it's gross, but it's true. And so I video myself. I pay for the iCloud storage so that I'm never worried that I'm not gonna have enough storage for me to video my own art. Okay, fine. 
Um, maybe if you don't want to have all the storage, you want to delete it, but I'm trying to write a television show about myself. And so I like to have my footage. Um, okay. Number two, uh, is, oh shit. Oh, oh, I got it. Okay. Um, and I'm sorry I cursed. Uh, but, um, the two, so this really changed my life. Um, I, I go to like anonymous programs that doesn't matter, but I like to just tell people because you're not supposed to. And I like to do that stuff. Um, but one of them, I was in Debtors Anonymous and they had a game. Maybe this isn't central to the story, but whatever. The game of Debtors Anonymous that I was playing, it was the tools game. And it was like, you know, doing things that are good for your life. And you like get a bunch of points and like, we didn't win, whatever. We're on a team, but it was a game. Okay. And, and you pick activities, four of them, if I remember correctly, um, for 10 minutes a day. Okay. And so one of them was like reaching out to a friend, whatever. And there's some that they, they were program like dictated, but then you could pick one of your own choosing to do something with. And so I picked um, messaging people about getting on shows for 10 minutes a day. Okay. Now I think what's important is it wasn't more than 10 minutes. It wasn't like the whole day and you email everybody in New York or LA or whatever. It was just 10 minutes per day working on that. And so in some ways, like I would do the thing where I would like binge message, right? And I'm suddenly I'm messaging everybody in the world and then I wouldn't do it again for like months. And so it wasn't that. And it also, it's, it, it, was, it was just 10 minutes. So it wasn't like overwhelming or whatever. The other thing, is that because it was my goal to do the 10 minutes, I stopped caring about who responded because it was more about, oh, I did my 10 minutes. Then whoever responds, it's just gravy. A lot of times that people would respond, I wouldn't even remember that I had sent them anything. And I was delighted to say yes, delighted to hear from them, of course. But, you know, anyway, so that really changed my life. And then, you know, what happened is I was getting better from doing the shows. And then, you know, suddenly I didn't have to message as much because people were inviting me on shows. But now, you know, after the pandemic, I moved from L.A. to New York. And so I'm relatively new in a way to the New York scene. I was here, but then I, I was there for three years. And so now I'm back. And so, you know, it's kind of getting back into the messaging. Um, so those are the two big pieces of advice. And then a third, you know what? I think meditation. Gary Shandling meditated before stand-up sets. Um, I found meditation in 2018. I think it really changed my life. I do transcendental meditation. So, you know, okay, fine. Add me to the list of people who love transcendental meditation. Those are my three pieces of advice. Amazing. That's incredible. That's great advice. Thank you. Yeah. So let's get into acting. Great. Yeah. What inspired you to go into acting? What's the story behind there? I mean, basically, I always knew that I wanted to make a television show Mm -hmm. since I started doing comedy. I was sure about that. And I haven't made it yet. um, The show or it or whatever. But like, I, I never was doing stand up without that goal. Mm -hmm. And so I pretty immediately got into acting class. Um, and really my goal, I mean, now, you know, I, I got a job TAing acting at the place where I take acting classes in LA. I go to Leslie Kahn. I think she's amazing. Just like truly beyond the fact that I'm a TA. I mean, that's, you know, but no, I'm just kidding. But like, um, but, but she's great. Uh, so anyway, there's that, but it's like, you know, I got into it and I stay in it because I do love acting, but also I really want to be able to play myself years prior, 
That's mm-hmm. the main thing that I want to do. Um, but along the way, I've learned a lot about myself. You know, I have let down a lot of guards and resistance and defensiveness. I mean, I used to be way worse than this. And, <laughs> you know, so I think it's really helped me as a human being. I think that's honestly like one of my favorite things about pursuing any of this. And by any of this, I mean the comedy, the writing, the acting. And, you know, it's certainly possible to pursue all of them and be a really like terrible person. But I think that for me, you know, going into like a profession and a pursuit or whatever, where really the goal is to dig as deeply as you possibly can into your own like vulnerable stuff. And that that's like, I'm convinced that that's where the best stuff, at least from me, comes out of me. And so if that's the case, then to get better at the thing, you kind of have to get to be a better person, right? Mm -hmm. And that is, I imagine that there's a version of a career in law or business or medicine or accounting, you know, any politics that is that, right? I'm sure that somebody could tell that story and I'd be extremely interested to hear it. But- For me, I don't think that was the case. When I was in law, I was very focused on, you know, publish as much and as prestigiously as possible, Um, you know, get the teaching award. And of course, along the way, you're thinking deeply, you're writing thoughtfully, you're connecting with with, you know, future lawyers who want to learn. And yeah, there are definitely those kind of, again, like flow state, beautiful moments But I don't think in that profession and that kind of time in my life, um, and I'm not saying it's a fault of the of the institutions. I think it was me, you know, that I was just like, listen, I just got to win here. I got to get tenure. I got to win, you know, the best be the best. And and then not that I was, you know, I got tenure, but like I think I was very good in some ways, not so good in other ways, whatever it was. But I think then I had you know, that moment of like, all right, I climbed this whole mountain. Why? And now I'm at the top and I'm not sure. You know what I mean? I just don't think I loved it enough. Right. You know what I'm saying? And so, so anyway, so this, I mean, you know, I think ultimately with pursuing any of this, it's kind of like, I really love and think is very interesting. The specific details of my own life. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, it's a curse but also maybe a blessing. I truly think that, you know, what happened to me on this day in history and remembering all of the dates of everything that went on in my life is incredibly interesting. I get that it's not for everyone, but for me, that's what I love, you know? So now, I mean, I don't have to remember case names and all the rest of it, but I remember, you know, the specifics of my own experience. Mm -hmm. That's more valuable. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, it just gets me feeling alive. Right. You know, for somebody else, it could be figuring out the cure to to a disease. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? I I imagine it is. Yeah. But it's just, I think, finding that thing for you, you know, that gets you to be so motivated and really going after it. Mm -hmm. And I met, I mean, a lot of people in my law career, and I've told them that, that they really influenced me, um, 
who felt like, you know, to me, they seemed like they were that into it. And that actually is also relevant to acting, actually, because Mm -hmm. I think in some ways, my first acting experiences were getting into the jobs that I was getting into. I remember when I was um, applying for my law professor job. And, you know, I got a bunch of advice, as you might imagine, from people who were like younger faculty members who I knew, called everybody I knew, whatever. And somebody was like, basically, he's like, uh, uh, you got to convince them who, you know, the, the committee, the faculty at whatever school that you're already on the faculty, that you're like, you can you're fit right part in. Of it, yeah. Right. And so in some ways, it's just like an audition. Right. You got to convince them you're the character. Right. You're not an actor playing. And so the thing is, when I did my job talk and I had my interview and those are just industry terms for what happens before you get an academic job. I yeah, of course, I was I was I knew what I what I was presenting on the details of it for sure. But I was really interested in the kind of like, I don't know, like character traits of a law professor. And I think I went deep on that. Like one of the things that I remember was I was like, they all seem to end their sentences with like, they'll say a thing and they're like, so I was saying, right, that I was walking down the street, right? And you would think, right, that, and they all ended it with right. And I was like, oh, interesting. That seems to be a thing. But, you know, now that I'm telling you this, I'm like, I should go this deep into all of the characters that I actually have an audition for, because then maybe, I mean, you know, I've had an okay start to my acting career, but you know, what I was going to say is then maybe I'd book the roles because Mm -hmm. it really was, you know, it's, and Mm -hmm. and it's, I don't mean it like it was just surface because it's not acting isn't either. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? But if you're, you know, I feel like in some ways my first acting job was being a law professor. Yeah, no, I love that. That's fantastic. So, so what, what are your advice for future actors or something you, if someone told you when you started out? Yeah, I mean, find a class, find class and stay in class is Mm -hmm. one thing. Um, I love Leslie Kahn. You know, I, I love, I'm always advertising for something. And it's not because anybody asked me to, but just because I, I feel like I really try to find stuff I love. Like I'm drinking Tazo wild, sweet orange tea. Okay. Mm-hmm. You like tea. It's basically hot juice. It's amazing. Uh, wow. But I don't even take any sweetener. Okay. So uh, I don't know if it's advice for actors to get Tazo wild, sweet orange tea, <laughs> but you know, if anybody's listening to that, I, I would recommend it. <laughs> Delicious. I just took a sip. Anyway. <laughs> But um, no, like, I feel like I, I've gone to enough acting classes that I'm aware of some of the ways that I'm like, is this doing much? Like, this seems a little shady. And I think there's a bunch of that in acting class. The thing I love about Leslie um, is that there's actually something to do. And I feel like for years, you know, trying in auditions or whatever, I was kind of like trying to play darts without a dartboard. I had no idea where I was aiming. And I was hoping that I would just show up and like be brilliant and be this character because I'm so amazing. And it's like, maybe that'll happen. I hope it happens for someone, but it's kind of like if they didn't write it like literally for you or because 
you know, it just happened to be all of your exact traits. It's, it's just, that's not how to act. Right. Right. And I thought that there's no how to act that it's basically just like, you either know how to do it or you don't. And then I went to classes and I don't think I was really convinced that it was otherwise. Cause Mm -hmm. I'm like, I couldn't tell you like what I'm actually doing. Whereas with Leslie, I absolutely can. Right. And so that's, I really, I appreciate the fact that it's doable in that way. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So, but I mean, you know, I would stay in class and that's my main thing for actors. Mm -hmm. I love that. Fantastic advice. Oh, so, so, um, my, I have my last bonus round question. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to give you a minute to answer each question. All right. Okay, great. Um, right so a comedian you want to open for go amy schumer good choice um fantastic uh i'm part of a movie or tv show you could have done like any tv show or movie that i could have done yeah i mean i feel like uh like the housekeeper in clue or Gossip Girl, Dorota, um, or Alice from the Brady Bunch. I love like a, a like character, you know, working class person. I love, I, I want to be a bus driver. I don't know. I don't really have aspirations other than playing myself that mm. are super kind of huge in terms of what characters I want to play in television and movies. Certainly if somebody wanted me to be, you know, a lawyer or a law professor on some other show, I'm not turning anything down, at least not now. But if I'm being honest, that's not really what I'm going for. What I'm going for is I want to have my own show and play myself. And then I would love to be able to like offer fun sort of pops in the, you know, the show as a kind of background supporting character that has a big personality, but maybe not as much of a backstory. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, if I could like have my career doing those things, I'm good. I love that. Um, the last you. one I have is a favorite place to perform. Any place you performed at. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't like if I'm being real, in my mind, I would love to perform on really big stages. It's mm-hmm. always been part of my goal and vision. And, and you know, I don't yet, I'll get to soon. Um, like I have dates now, which I'm very grateful for um, at bigger places. But like, you know, I don't know that I, I would be really being honest if I said that there's a difference between this stage and that stage. It's more just like, okay, I had a really good show. Like I performed at Union Hall recently and it was a really great show. Does that mean that Union Hall is in my favorites? I guess, sure. But I also love the Hollywood Hotel on Tuesday nights, the mic that, you know, I don't know if it exists now. I imagine that there's something, but it's like, you know, I love them for different reasons. But if I'm thinking my favorite place to perform, I don't know that any specific stage stands out to me yet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love that. That's so fantastic answer. And oh, thank you. I hope, yeah, I hope you find yeah. that stage. I would also love to open 
for Mike Birbiglia and Jay getting those Amy Schumer. Mm-hmm. I love that. Fantastic. Thanks. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for doing this. This is so much fun. Yes, it was so awesome, Ambie. Thank you. Yeah.